yo, welcome to another episode of The Coach's Box. Thank you for stepping in The Coach's Box this evening. I'm your host, Coach JP3. Also got with me, Coach Natty T in the building. So we got a lot for you today. We got some soccer, we got some NFL, we got NBA. So full slate as usual on the show. But first we're gonna start with a little Champions League. So we forgot through all this, this, this craziness of the Super League that people still playing games and stuff too. Yeah, so we got to uh, do a little breakdown of the Champions League uh, semifinals. So Coach Natty, go ahead and kick us off with a recap. Yes, yeah, so recap in uh, Champions League. So they're at the semifinal stage. So essentially how the format works, basically the final four teams in the competition, and they play two matches, one on each home turf, and, and basically on they go by aggregate goal. So what that means is, um, you know, within the two legs, as they call it, or the two matches, um, you know, whoever wins outright, goes on to the final. And then what ends up happening is if you score, if you're the away team that scores, that counts more than, you know, if you score at home. So for instance, if, um, well, the first game actually, so Chelsea versus Real Madrid, Chelsea was at Real Madrid um, in the first leg. So they're tied 1-1 because Chelsea scored, Real Madrid scored. So in the second game, if it's, ends up being 1-1, Chelsea would go through because they scored on their home turf. So that's what that means by aggregate. Um, so I'll break down the first game first. Um, <laughs> well, the one I'm going to go in on is the second one, but the first game was Chelsea versus Real Madrid. Um, Christian Pulisic scored, who's who's an American international uh, player. So he had a really nice goal. Um, was a little quiet the rest of the game, but he had a really nice goal. Um, and then Real Madrid was able to tie it up and go 1-1. So my prediction on that particular second leg, I, as, as of right now, I still think Real Madrid is the better team. They have the more talented team, um, but they just seem to kind of be hit or miss sometimes. But I expect them to at least score a goal um, on Chelsea's home turf, and I expect them to go through. Mm. So um, that's my prediction on that one. But definitely give a shout out to Christian Pulisic because he scored a goal. Um, you know, him being an American player because he's the first American. Mm-hmm and score in you know the, the semifinal stage of Champions League so it's pretty wow. yeah so he's doing well um we'll we'll see how that match goes because it's kind of it's very it's kind of hit or miss on that one but real quickly I'm gonna go into the second match it was PSG versus Manchester City first leg was in Paris these fools lost they scored first. Marquinhos scored first. It was a nice uh, corner kick. They played fantastic in the first half. When I mean they, I mean PSG. I have a PSG jersey on right now. That's the team I like. Great. Neymar looked great. And then the second half, they punked out, man. I blame Pochettino, who's their manager, I think they came out too defensive. Some people said they ran out of gas, but whatever. 
<laughs> I thought they played too defensive against Manchester City. Um, and then Manchester City, the first goal was, I don't know what happened, miscommunication between the defense and the goalkeeper. That should have been an easy save. The second goal was off of a free kick for those that saw it. And Kempembe, who's a defender for PSG, he is a punk because <laughs> standing in the wall, you can just sit there and take it. Okay. So what happened on this goal? There's there's a wall. So the pros don't know there's a free kick. It's usually about you know 20, 25 yards out of outside of the 18-yard box. Manchester City had the free kick. Riyad Mahrez kicks the kicks the kicks the free kick. And it wasn't even a high shot. Like I understand if somebody blasts the ball straight at your head, like you may duck, but this ball was aimed at your torso. Like if anything, any soccer players out there are listening that know if you're standing in the wall, I would much rather get hit in the chest or the stomach than straight in the face. Right. So ball is coming straight towards this guy's torso. What does he do? He moves out the way as he jumps. What? Yes. And that's how they score the second goal. So, and then just their whole attitude. I, I going in, I thought Man City was going to win um, over the two legs because they're overall they're the better team, even though PSG has the better individuals. Because sure. one of my issues with PSG is I, from a kid, I just don't think they have a good team character when things go bad. When they play well, everything looks great. Mbappe scoring goals, Neymar's doing all his tricks and flicks, and he's playing well, but. When things go bad, they, they just start doing dumb stuff. So they still have a chance in the second leg, you know, because they still have the talent there, but I, I, I don't see them going through. So that's my little mini rant. Because that, that, that compendium goal just really ticked me off, especially as an ex-defender. <laughs> stand in the wall, stand in the wall, man. Jeez. Now, personally, man, it's like, bro, come on, man. Well, this listen, France letting Americans back in soon, so you know, go over there. You can you can let them know what he did wrong. I, I just because dude, he he specifically ticks me off. Dude. He plays for PSG, he plays for the French national team. Anytime something goes bad, he's always around. And I don't like that as a fan. <laughs> I just don't like that. Even in the last leg when they played uh Bayern Munich, there was one of the goals that um that they scored. Like the ball comes over and he's sitting there just looking at it. Like, dude, attack the ball and get it out. Look, I, I'm down. <laughs> he just really ticks me off, man. Cause he's always just, he's always slow to react. This dude's ducking from the ball. Like, come on, man. Like, that's just such a punk move. He gets paid too much money for that. <laughs> I'm known to be like this big kind of like muscle guy. Cause he's, yeah. cause he's, He's a, I mean, for a soccer player, he's pretty big. He's 6'2". I'm a pretty, pretty big guy. And then he going to duck out the way from the ball comes. Like, come on, man. Like, that's just, that's such a punk move. <laughs> but they still, there's, you know, they still have a chance. They're down 2-1. And then, again, like I explained at the beginning, Manchester City scored two goals in Paris. So they have to score, they have to basically score two goals themselves. They have to basically win by two goals. Yeah. You know? So, you know, it's a tough task ahead. Um, Manchester City is, I mean, they're 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 tough. So 
I'm still picking Man City to go through. I don't see it happening, but we'll see. I'll I'll still be watching next week. But Champions League recap. Yes, we will recap it next week as well. Man, the level of disappointment on your face. We got pulled, moved out of the way. I just like if you don't give up a goal, like have it be like one of those David Beckham. Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi, where the ball's like going over the wall and dipping and swerving and all that. Don't move out the way mm-hmm. and basically give them the goal. Like that's uh anyway. <laughs> uh, man, that's tough. That's tough. Well, we also had a draft last night. First round of NFL draft. There were some surprises. There are some surprises um, from, from the teams in the first round. And so we're just going to talk about our reactions to, to things. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and go first. Uh, no brainer, Trevor Lawrence is going to be one. Uh, you know, people were debating on what that second quarterback off the board was going to be, who that was going to be. Uh, the fact that the Jets chose Zach Wilson. I mean, a lot of people had already guessed that. So that wasn't too big of a surprise. We knew they were going quarterback. Uh, Trey Lance to the Niners. That was a big one. I think the evolution over the last maybe three weeks or so was Trey Lance started to, you know, make his way up, up, up and further in, in people's minds as a, as a higher draft. Uh, certainly the narrative was more of, uh, of Mac Jones earlier before, you know, being drafted before Trey Lance, but the Niners t- took him. Uh, and so I thought they were going to do Justin Fields, but I, it didn't support. And it's surprising that they went quarterback, um, but Trey Lance was, is a good pick for them. Uh, I think this really makes me think of what's going to happen there in their quarterback situation. Are they going to throw him to the fire now, or are they going to say, all right, Jimmy G, you got one more year, stay healthy, and then let Trey Lance just kind of learn uh, from, from Jimmy and the, and the coaches there have a year to sit. So we'll see. Uh, Kyle Pitts to the Falcons. Uh, that wasn't that's a good pickup for them because they lost Austin Hooper. So we talked about that last week. Uh, so that was a good pickup for them. The big surprise, like the first major surprise for me was Cincinnati picking Jamar Chase. And I'm thinking, you know, you got because really you don't need any right receivers. You don't have receivers that have big names right now because A.J. Green's gone, you know, but you have young receivers that prove that they can have a rapport with Joe Burrow. But if you need anything, you need people so your quarterback can stand upright and have time to throw to these wideouts. And so I thought they were going to go uh, with Panay Sewell, but they went with Jamar Chase. I think he's going to end up being a good NFL wide receiver, but I just don't think as far as priority is concerned that that was the way to go because it ended up kicking them in the butt because in this first round, I think there's at least three offensive linemen that were drafted after that. Uh, three of the best ones in the draft. And so now you can't get a top three offensive lineman. So hopefully whoever you pick later ends up panning out for you. Uh, Jalen Waddle to the, to the Dolphins. So, you know, I was thinking, yeah, they're going to go receiver. I thought Jamar Chase would still be available because I didn't think Cincinnati was going the receiver route. Yeah, I figured it was going to be him or one of the Alabama receivers. So the fact that they got Waddle, um, he snuck up on a lot of people, I think, the, the narrative on Devontae Smith maybe scared some of the teams out there as far as drafting him higher. And so with Waddle looking, quote unquote, looking more like an NFL receiver, I think they went that direction uh, to be safe. 
Uh, Lions, Panay Sewell. So Jared Goff has, has a good offensive lineman there. I thought that was good for them. There's a new regime there in Detroit that's trying to rebuild that team. They've tried multiple times. So hopefully this regime um, will do better than the than the, the prior ones. But And they're off to a good start. That's a good draft pick for them. Uh, J.C. Horn. So for me, he kind of came out of nowhere as far as being, you know, in the top 10 draft pick. Everyone was talking about Patrick Sertan II, the best one on the board. If any DB is going, it's going to be him uh, in the top 10. So it's surprising that he kind of he kind of jumped on people's radar. I thought it was a good pick for Carolina. They do need some help defensively. Uh, they have slid progressively uh, and kind of rapidly, actually, since their Super Bowl year. Uh, Pat, and then Patrick Sertain. So I, I think that was pretty cool. Them going back to back. Great pickup for Denver. Uh, you know, of course, they still have to figure out their their quarterback situation, but we'll see what happens. Um, I believe they got Teddy Bridgewater this week. Yeah, so I, I think that's a solid pickup for them. Uh, Devontae Smith to the Eagles. I think everyone was thinking uh, Deshaun Jackson as soon as that, that pick went out, uh, be able to utilize him in a similar fashion, somebody to stretch the field. The Eagles didn't have anyone like that at this point in time because Jackson couldn't stay healthy. And so I, I, I think if Smith can stay healthy, he could bring that same flair. Uh, the others... Uh, Justin Fields, yeah, you need a quarterback if you're Chicago. Justin Fields, having a solid defense on the other end is going to make his job much easier. So I'm happy that he went to a place with a strong defense. I thought he was going to San Fran because they also have a strong defense, but Chicago, that's cool. I think he'll, I think he'll do well there. Uh, I mean, Andy Dalton's not a bad quarterback to learn from either. Uh, Dallas at that point, I think they were like, hey, we got to go with the best defensive player on the board. Uh, the top two DBs were taken, so they went linebacker with Micah Parsons. Uh, you know, Sean Lee's is, is pretty much out his, on his way out of the league, unfortunately, because he just can't stay healthy. Uh, so I think they were – what you say? Retired. He retired, yeah. So he retired. They had to replace him. Um, so Jalen Smith and the Wolf Hunter, I, you needed someone else there pick it up. They each had their own health problems too, so they needed to, to deepen that linebacker spot. Uh, protect the investment if you're the LA Chargers. So getting Rashawn Slater to protect um, Justin Herbert, good with that. Mac Jones, good with that for the Patriots. They need to, you know, get that quarterback position solidified. The other ones were pretty, I'd say, you know, not not as shocking for the most part. Really happy the Steelers were able to pick up Najee Harris just as a fan of the team. Uh, but I think that's only part of the problem that their offense, their run blocking is the other part of the equation that needs to improve. Uh, so Harris isn't going to be enough, but I, he's certainly he headed in the right direction. Uh, Travis, Travis Etienne, I think that's a good, you know, you've already played together, you know, you, you know that makes uh, Trevor Lawrence's job easier, uh, a little bit of an adjustment easier there. So those were, Kind of my thoughts roughly on most of the teams in the first round. Coach Natty T, what do you got for us? Yeah, I, mean, I don't really have much else. I mean, you pretty much went through most of the picks already. Um, the Denver pick was interesting because that kind of leads me to our next topic. Mm -hmm. um, I like I like Trey Lance when we did our like our mark drafts last show. Uh, you know, as far as what we would do, I mean, I 
I thought Trey Lance, because I, I just think he has the biggest upside. I know he's the, he's the biggest unknown, but I think he has the biggest upside as well. Um, but I mean, I've been watching those YouTube videos, and I hate just going off YouTube videos. But man, that dude, I can see why they like. They're just like, yo, this guy's something something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think. I mean, I know it's North Dakota State, and you know, you can bring up the competition question, but I think. Um, if you really look at it, I mean, guys like Joe Flacco, and I mean, he's somewhat polarizing as well. Same as Carson Wentz, somewhat polarizing as well. I mean, those guys came from one AA schools, and I don't think necessarily, if it doesn't work out, I don't think it's going to be necessarily just because he can't play because the talent is too overwhelming. It's just going to be a matter of, you know, just confidence and can things kind of fall in place from an organization standpoint, because I think with Carson, his talent wasn't the issue. It was just, he was just getting in his head and he's lost his confidence and, and all of that. So um, I think he's going to a, a good place with San Francisco. I mean, they're two years removed from being in the Super Bowl. Really, they were just unhealthy last year while they weren't really in the playoffs. Um, and it looks like they're still gonna keep Jimmy Garoppolo. So, I mean, I think it's somewhat of a win-win situation. Um, yeah, then, like I said, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, I, mean, I think everybody knew what was going on there. Um, the I do like Justin Fields going to uh, Chicago. Um, <laughs> I know some of the uh, reaction today was kind of judging his reaction um, when, they, when the camera panned to him at his house <laughs> when he got drafted. He didn't look happy, but... Uh-huh. Which, you know, I get, he probably thought, he probably thought he was going to go to San Francisco or I'm pretty sure he thinks he's better than Trey Lance because he played at Ohio State. Um, But I I do think it's a, it's, it's, it's a good fit. I think, um, you know, everybody kind of rags on Mitch Trubisky, but, you know, really think about it. I mean, they were in the playoffs two out of four years and he has a winning record as a starter. I just think the problem is, when you're in the same draft class as Patrick Mahomes and um, Deshaun Watson, obviously Deshaun has his own issues going on right now, you know, waiting for all that information to come in, but, but still, um, you know, when you're in that draft class and then, you know, Chicago moves up to take him and kind of passes on those two guys, even though he's, cause again, like if you really look at his numbers and just win loss record and the fact that they went to the playoffs two out of four years, that's actually, decent like that's actually pretty good but it's just when you compare it to those two quarterbacks you know he's just in a lose-lose situation um so off your screen at all like yeah yeah he doesn't he doesn't so that that's kind of the that's that's the tough part that he had to deal with um but you know with Justin Fields and you know obviously they have um Andy Dalton there I think he can be a decent bridge and you know who knows maybe he can beat him out uh you know in the you know, the offseason, the OTAs and preseason and all that. Um, but I, I do like that fit because um, I do think Matt Nagy is, is – I think he's okay. I don't think he's as bad as uh, – what's his name from the Jets? Um, Adam Gates. Yeah, I don't think he's like Adam Gates, but I do think he – I do think he's at least decent and he'll, he'll help him out. Um, I do like the Makai Parsons for the Cowboys because, I mean, he was honestly the best linebacker in the draft, really. Yeah. Um, 
because it was it was definitely was puzzling when they traded back with Philly, a team in your own division. But I do think when J.C. Horn was off the board and when Pat, Patrick Sertan was off the board, I think they felt like, well, okay, Chicago's probably definitely going to get a quarterback, and then Philly's definitely going to take a receiver, so they could drop down and still get him at twelve. Mac Jones, I think he'll be good for um, New England. Obviously, they, I don't think he's going to beat out Cam Newton this year, but I do think he can be decent. And, you know, the Alabama connection with Nick Saban and um, Bill Belichick is there. Nick Saban used to be on his staff in Cleveland. So, you know, he likes Alabama players because they're, you know, they're disciplined and he knows how they were coached. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think um, – like you said, the rest of the picks were pretty chalk, if you if you if you want to use that term. Um, again, I think once Trey Lance went to uh, San Francisco, I think it kind of just put those other picks in place because I think if he say if Justin Fields went to the 49ers, I think there probably would have been some more activity to try to get Trey Lance. Yeah, I really do. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I thought, I thought it was a pretty good draft and, and then kind of side note, kind of alluding to what we've been talking about past week, past, you know, shows, I should say, you know, the, the draft is, is an event and the NFL, I'm telling you, they understand the American viewership psyche. Like they've literally turned the draft into like an event Yeah, to the point where it's on ABC, ESPN, and NFL Network. It's on three different networks at one time. The draft. I mean, this isn't a game. Like, this is the NFL draft. Like, you got to hand it to the NFL, man. They, they just, they know how to put on a show when it comes to the American viewing public. So, That's you true. know, it's, and then with the pandemic last year, I think everybody kind of, it was just good to see fans back in the building and all that, just the energy that was there. So, um, yeah, man, the NFL, they tell you, man. <laughs> they got the formula. They, they have the formula, man. They they know they know how to make this thing work in terms of the American viewing audience, man. They they understand how it works. So yeah, so overall it was a good first night. I I I definitely enjoyed watching. For sure. For sure. I was entertained the whole time. I like having people in person and being able to interview folks and, and getting that. I always love it when the players, you know, show emotion and um, are there and they hug Roger Goodell and everything like that. And they just, it just seems like this huge weight has been lifted. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the one, the one player was, you know, with his mom and say, yeah, mom's retiring. She's done. She's done. Yeah. 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 Yeah, She's done now. (laughs) So that, that was, that was pretty cool to see. Yep. Yeah, so we'll see what happens in, in these uh, these latter rounds here. Still a lot of talent still on the board, and uh, so we'll see where everyone goes. But I think a solid first round for everyone. Like I said, I'm still worried about Cincinnati, but I think everyone else did well. Um, they did because I think well, since they did take an offensive alignment in the second round, because who did they take? Um, yeah, Jackson, Jackson Carmen from uh, Clemson. He's decent. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's decent. 
But I agree. I would have took the offensive lineman because I think it's it's such a deep draft receiver wise. He could have got another decent receiver. Right. You know, you round. But I agree with you. I, I would have took a. I would have just took the best offensive line available. Mm-hmm. You know, that's me, and that's you, I guess. Not the Bengals. <laughs> we'll see. The Bengals. I I'd say lately they've drafted fairly well to give them their credit. Um, yeah, know. and they're probably banking on the you know the fact that you know Jamar Chase and um, Joe Burrow have that LSU connection. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's another thing that was interesting too because we saw because we have that connection. You have Devontae Smith with um, Jalen Hurts, Alabama connection there. They play together. Um, they have Trevor Lawrence and uh, Etienne. Etienne, yeah, Travis Etienne. I mean, they play together. So that's that was interesting to see because I, I don't think we've had that many teammates like go to the same team like that, especially in the first round. That's that was interesting. So yeah, we'll see. And Alabama cleaned up in the first round, man. You talk about a- oh, I mean that, that's no, yeah, yeah. I mean they clean up on a normal drive. So but with them having like that team last year, I wouldn't, I wouldn't surprise, man. It's gonna be all Alabama, man. So under Alabama, man, it's uh. <laughs> they just got they got pros all over the place, man. It's funny because we're old enough to know Alabama as something different, you know. Like yeah, I mean, growing up, they weren't always yeah, that powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, prior to Nick Saban, like, yeah, Alabama was was not. I mean, nobody cared about Alabama, but yeah, like when once Nick Saban got there, yeah, it was a whole different story, whole different ball game. Yeah. Oh wait, wait, wait. Hold on. So who did? So Waddle and Tua would be another one, right? Yeah, actually, yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. Waddle and Tua. I forgot about that one. Yeah, Waddle and Tua. Yeah, that's another one. Man. So it's interesting. I I like it though because I do think, especially if you have a young quarterback, you know, I, I do think you know giving them as much familiar faces and schemes helps kind of trans makes that transition as easy as possible. So I, I actually like the idea. I really do. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what I would do. Especially it's not like necessarily you're just picking them just because they went to that school. I mean, they're, they're high, they're highly rated talent. So, you know, I, I, I like the idea. So maybe that'll be a trend going forward, but that, that was an interesting trend that, you know, throughout the first round, you know, just drafting teammates. So, you know, we'll right. see. I agree. And then we got hit with some other news out of Green Bay. Aaron discount double check Rogers. And <laughs> you know what? This ain't this ain't it. This ain't it for me. And there's been rumblings about that. And I think a lot of analysts have been talking about this, but we've never actually heard from Rogers. You know, and so people will say, ah, you know. He deserves better than Green Bay. And I think the way that the NFC Championship ended didn't help that argument, seeing that they didn't give him the ball on fourth down, give him a chance to, to win the game there. Um, so I I think that all just kind of piled up um, to a point where it's like, you know what, Rodgers may be wasting his time. I know Stephen A. Smith has been big on that and just talking about the Packers not 
fully supporting Rodgers uh, and including him with some of the critical decisions that the team is making and, and everything like that. So to see this was kind of surprising, though, because Aaron's just been kind of, you know, okay, him and LaFleur seem to get along and had a good good role going in the season. So it was it was kind of surprising to hear this. But now this this shakes up the league. And now if Rodgers ends up on a different squad, this 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 changes everything. So Coach Natty T, what, what are you thinking about this situation? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously it was a big bombshell, but kind of you know, listen to all the uh the fallout afterwards. I personally think it was already like kind of common knowledge amongst the NFL brass, if you will, from, you know, around the NFL, just because, because if you remember before the Rams traded for uh, Matthew Stafford, you know, they, it was reported that they, you know, called Green Bay. I don't think they just called Green, you don't call Green Bay out the blue. That would have been like in years past, like people just calling New England for Tom Brady. You know what I mean? Like, you're calling for some reason, like, because you know something's up. Um, and then also it was reported, I think, what was it, a few weeks ago, that um, San Francisco inquired about, you know, giving the number three pick for, for Aaron Rodgers, and, um, and they turned it down. So that's why, I, again, I just think it, it was already common knowledge, but this just came out on draft day because – in true Aaron Rodgers fashion, you know, he wants to upstage everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, I do think, uh, just like with everything else in life, is it's multifaceted. I think there's there's multiple angles here. I think obviously there's been underlying tension over the past let's say four years, four or five years with him and not only just the coach or coaches between Mike McCarthy and um, what's his name? Okay. Yes. So um, I think that's, you know, that's where it started. Obviously them drafting a quarterback, Jordan Love last year, not just drafting one, but moving up and drafting one that doesn't sit well with him. Um, and I also think the fact that he won MVP this year, it fully messed up Green Bay's plans. Um, I personally think what they were going to do, because I'm going to read some numbers here. So if they trade, if they trade Aaron Rodgers this year, the dead cap hit is going to be $38 million. Which is a lot. Yeah. I mean, they still could do it, but that's a lot. Next year, 2022, they get rid of them. Cap hit 17 million. So that's, I mean, 17 million dollars is still a lot of money. But remember, this year the cap shrunk because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Next track is the, the, the cap is almost going to double because of the new TV money kicks in. So 17 million cap hit isn't you know that it's not that much of a hit at that point so my personal belief was green bay's original plan was last year we're like okay 
and even years prior, by Aaron Rodgers' standards, you know, his numbers were, I don't want to use the word declining, but they weren't as high as they normally were. But again, that's just by Aaron Rodgers' standards. As he said, my bad season is your quarterback's good season, which is true. It's true. (laughs) Yeah, like a down year for him was 26 touchdowns with two interceptions. I mean, like, my goodness. But I think the Green Bay Packers looked at it and was like, well, you know, he looks like he may be declining a little bit. Let's draft this quarterback, you know, for year 2020. Keep Aaron Rodgers this year. You know, if he declines a little bit more, keep him around for the 2021 season and then get rid of him in 2022 because of the situation. But Aaron, in true Aaron fashion, is like, oh, no. You <laughs> know, relationship analogy is like, oh, no. Y'all ain't breaking up with me. I'm breaking up with y'all first. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Um, so I, I do think there's there's that going on. And then I think on the Green Bay side, they're spoiled from a management standpoint because you had Brett Favre all those years. Mm-hmm. And then you have Aaron Rodgers all these years. So you just think, oh, well, we can do it again. That's just what we do as the Green Bay Packers. But remember, they didn't even – trade up to draft Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers fell to them. (laughs) So even that situation is different. Like you trading up to get a quarterback is a whole lot, it's a whole different deal. Um, Yeah. So I I think it's, I think it's very, very interesting. Um, And I think what Aaron Rodgers is doing is just playing, he's playing the game and he's smart and he's clever. And I think he's saying, okay, you guys want to play that game? I'm going to drop a bomb on drafting because y'all wanted to drop a bomb on me last year during draft weekend. So I'm just going to flip the script on y'all. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like Aaron Rodgers. That sounds, that's Aaron. So, I mean, you're talking, and again, not to get too personal, but the man doesn't even talk to his brother because they had a falling out. What do you think he's going to do to y'all? <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just saying. Um, so yeah, it's it's gonna be very interesting. Um, I'll let you go because I think as far as where he if he gets traded, maybe does he get traded? I think that's a it, that's even more of a complicated thing. Yeah, I didn't quite know what to think about the situation at first, and I figured the rumblings were more of like, oh, uh, this is the same thing as Russell Wilson, and I guess he's he's going to end up playing you know next year for the same team anyway. Uh, but this is so much more serious, it seems to be, than the Russell Wilson situation. So I thought it was odd that in Russell's um, predicament, we heard from management last saying, oh, we're good, we're okay. You know, everything's fine, everything's fine. It's like, does Russell think that? Or is that just you thinking that? And he's just like, well, we'll see. We'll give it one more year or something like that. Uh, so are you really okay or are you just hanging on? So I thought that was going to be the narrative for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, just hanging on for another year to see what happens since he had such a good season. But you put all those puzzle pieces that you just put together. Uh, I think you got yourself like, yeah, not only exactly, exactly. Like, yeah, I, I, th- I like the analogy. I'm going to break up with you before you break up with me. And not only that, I'm going to let you know how good of a partner I am. And it, yeah. Yeah, and let you know what you're going to be missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So with that, I mean, of course, I'm a little biased. I would love to see him go to Pittsburgh 
uh, you know, that they have really no succession plan for Ben Roethlisberger. Dwayne Haskins is not it. He's not anyone's long-term solution. I don't care what you think. I don't care who you are, what team you are. He's not anyone's like long-term situation in the arena football league and the Canadian football league and the German football league. I don't, I don't care. He's no one's, no one's long-term asset. So I would like to see him go there because I think there's, it is the same and different as green Bay, but in the right ways. It's the same as that there is a structure that is very constant. They don't get all hyped up by society putting pressure on what they do with their team. Mm. Right, we're talking about a franchise that with 1933 has only had a couple of handful of head coaches, none of them fired, uh, everything like that. They have the model of consistency like Green Bay does. But you got somebody that you can actually walk into their office and talk to in Pittsburgh, which is very, you know, not the case in Green Bay. Since the fans on the team, you don't have that person that you can say, hey, you know, um, I'm not really liking the direction that we're headed here. So you're depending on other people to be able to, to move that peg along for you. Uh, they, if you take Pittsburgh's defense and Green Bay's defense, I take, you know, when fully healthy Pittsburgh's defense, you know, with, with Bush and Bud Dupree, you know, with, with Bush coming back, you know, so I I would take that defense. You got Najee Harris in the backfield now. Uh, so I think Jones is a little bit better than Harris, but uh, because he's proven, right? He's proven. Yeah. But I think Harris is not a bad uh, switch off. And you have a good offensive line and you have right receiver weapons big weapons that are better than, you know, I mean, of course, Devontae Adams is the best out of all the receivers between the two teams, but across the board, Pittsburgh's better. And Ben Roethlisberger is just not going to be, his arm isn't going to last the rest of the next season. He might get off to a, a hot start the first, you know, maybe even 12, 13 games, just like last year. And then he's just going to slide off again. So I think that would be a good match is, is, is Rogers there. Um, if Rogers were to somehow make his way to San Francisco, that wouldn't be horrible. Uh, cause I don't think Jimmy G, I don't think the four have bought in on Jimmy G just because he can't stay on the field. Uh, so you want Trey Lance to, to learn from a quarterback. Does it get too much better than Aaron Rodgers? So I, I obviously that is a good fit. Those would probably be my top two destinations for him uh, because I think some of the other teams aren't in serious contention for anything. Uh, and that would be a waste of his career. And I don't think he would like to, to have that, that marriage. So that's just my thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So kind of going back to the draft a little bit, I was surprised Denver didn't take Justin Fields or take a quarterback. So I, you know, I've, I think, you know, I've heard some of the, some of the other analysts say, you know, have some of the same thoughts because, um, I mean, you really need a quarterback. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I don't know why you didn't take one. And now Patrick Sertan is a great pick, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, Drew Locke, sorry, Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater is not the answer. I'm sorry. 
So I'm wondering if John Elway is envisioning a Peyton Manning 2.0 situation here, kind of biding his time. Because again, I, I really think that although the news was, you know, made public on draft day, I, I think those of the NFL knew what the situation was. Because even the, 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 the reports were that, um, you know, the GM flew out to California, then, you know, another guy flew out to California in the front office, and then um, Matt LaFleur flew out, and then still nothing. <laughs> so I mean you know I, I just I don't really know I don't really know how you know from a Green Bay perspective like I understand like they have them under contract for the next three years technically so they don't really have to do anything um, but you know I, I don't know how you expect to fix it, fix it at this point um, I do think in terms of uh, fit San Francisco, I mean, ultimately San Francisco would have been the best fit. I just think it's, I mean, slim to zero chance they're going to actually do it because for one, it's they're in the same conference. I don't think they're going to trade Aaron Rodgers to San Francisco to a team that they've, you know, played multiple times in the NFC Championship game before. I just don't see them making that deal as much as if it comes to that point. Um, so I definitely think it has to be a, an, an AFC team. And then when I'm really looking at it, the interesting thing is, dare I say, the market's kind of limited, if you really think about it that way? It is. I mean, either you already got your guy or you're, you can't make it happen. I'm pulling up. I'm looking at the AFC right now. So Kansas City's not getting not going to go for Aaron Rodgers. Buffalo's probably not. Yep. To your point, Pittsburgh, maybe, but I, I, I don't know. I just feel like Ben Roethlisberger is still going to hold him hostage. Is he like Brett Favre 2.0 to me? <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong about that either. I'm saying, yeah, yeah. I mean, could Tennessee just be maybe, you know, <clears throat> maybe um, Baltimore? I don't think as great as Aaron Rodgers is, I don't think they're going to you know, get off Lamar Jackson. Could Cleveland? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Indianapolis is just created for, for Carson Wentz. Um, you know, maybe Miami with Tua, maybe. Maybe. That that would be interesting. The one, another team that I think could work, I don't know how, it would, it would be very interesting to see how those two personalities were working, but the Las Vegas Raiders. Because they, I don't, really don't think they really – like David, you know, or Derek Carr that much. Yeah. Could they, you know, could, could that be appealing to Aaron Rodgers because he's closer to California because Vegas is pretty close. You know, that's just a short flight to where he lives in San Francisco or in the Bay Area, I should say. Um, New England's not going to go for him. Chargers yep. aren't going to go for him. I think Denver, I mean, obviously they would need to make have some other pieces as well. Um Cincinnati is not going to go for him. You know, obviously we have that whole situation in Houston. We'll just leave it at that. And then the Jets and the the Jaguars just picked their quarterbacks. Yep. So really, we're talking, what I say, Tennessee maybe, maybe, 
Pittsburgh, maybe if Ben Roethlisberger doesn't hold him hostage. Maybe Miami, Las Vegas, and Denver. Yeah. That's that's really that's really the only teams I would really see like jumping up and down and be like, all right, let's go get Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Because again, now there are more teams because in the NFC, I just I don't see them making a trade in the NFC. They're not gonna trade Aaron Rodgers to the, to the same conference. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it'll be interesting. And plus, again, they they own his rights for the next three years. Technically, they don't have to trade him. But the interesting thing is. And obviously, you know, RIP Alex Trebek. But with Aaron, you know, doing guest hosting Jeopardy, and I'm pretty sure if you Google it, you know, a, a, a host for a show like Jeopardy, you know, annual salaries anywhere from 10 to $20 million a year. I'm pretty sure Aaron Rodgers would demand the higher end of that. So let's just, just to be safe, let's just put it in half. Call it $15 million. You say. He currently makes how much does he make now? He makes does he makes thirty seven million? Oh wait, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. He makes thirty seven. He's gonna make thirty seven million dollars this year. So yeah, would that be a pay cut? Yeah, but that's still better than most NFL players when they. <laughs> Who else has a fifteen million dollar a year option after that? Right. Not many. Not many, right? So, you know, and again, I'm just being generous. Like, he probably would still, he probably would get the 20 million. Yeah, they give it to him. Yeah, we, you're right. They would give it to him. So, last year, he made $21 million. Year before that, he made 29. Year before that, he made 20. So, that really, it's not really that much of a pay cut. It's in the ballpark. It's still right. in the ballpark. Yeah. I think that's the one leverage slash trump card that he has is the fact that. He could say, well, you don't have to trade me. I'm just going to retire. And then y'all got to deal with that Jordan Love, who's obviously not ready yet because through all the reports and practice, they were like, well, he's not ready yet. Yeah. So to me, that's the interesting part. I think he has more leverage if he plays the retirement card, even more so than saying trade me. Mm -hmm. But in a roundabout way, if he plays the retirement card, it's more likely that they could trade him because they could just say like, well, we need to at least get something back for him. I know the cat hit would be there, but at least we can get something back for him. So to me, that's that's when you brought up Russell Wilson and even obviously, like I said, Deshaun Watson has his own issues, but you know, prior to that, him saying he doesn't want to be there, Russell Wilson saying he doesn't want to be there. The one thing that Aaron Rodgers makes Aaron Rodgers' situation different is he's like, look. I got a $20 million job waiting for me. Why well, don't got to get hit in the head? Yeah. I could just read <laughs> off some, some, some answers. It's- right. Right. Those other, those other quarterbacks don't, they don't have that. They're only, they want to keep playing. You know what I mean? So the team really has all the full leverage at that point. Cause they can just sit back and just wait for him to just calm down and be like, okay, yeah, you're not going anywhere. So you can kick and scream, but we're not trading you. And you really have no other options because if you hold out, then you're going to owe us money. Whereas Aaron could be like, well, you know what? I just got engaged to my, my actress wife. Got MVP. I, I, I got an MVP. I mean, yeah. Would I want to win another Super Bowl? Absolutely. Do I think I could still play at a high level? Absolutely. 
but it could be like you know Megatron and and um and Barry Sanders. It just you know it just got to the point where like I'd rather not play than play for y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I mean, he has nothing else to to really prove to no. anybody to the Packers or to anybody really the league. It's like that he's a he, they call him a bad man for a reason. Yeah. So. To me, that's what makes this whole situation interesting because that brings a different dynamic, the fact that he can actually retire. Yeah. He, yeah, he has a $20 million job waiting for him right there. I mean, again, besides what, Tony Romo? I'm talking just in, ge- in terms of athletes, right? Yeah. Besides Tony Romo, like who else you know can just walk into another $20 million job, right? There's plenty of athletes that do TV afterwards, but they're definitely not making that kind of money. No, no. I mean, not even close. Not even close. And even if they do, it may take them a while, right? Like, because even like Michael Strahan. I mean, well, actually, he's another example. But he didn't even start off making that much money. I mean, he's making that much money now. Yes. But you know, when he went to do Good Morning America and you know, and uh, Michael and Kelly and all that, I mean, so that's just two. Michael Strahan and Tony Romo, that's two. Out of all the NFL players, mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers would be three. Yeah. So Just like that. Just like that. So, you know, I, from a Green Bay Packers perspective, again, like I just – I just think they're, they're a, bit, a little bit spoiled because they just feel like they've done this before with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, they've been kind of spoiled and – you know, fortunate to have two great quarterbacks like that, where they've just been able to have pretty much no drop off, really, in quarterback play. I mean, you know, it arguably increased after Fred Favre left. For goodness' sake, and he won three MVPs back to back to back in the nineties. So, and, and the quarterback play actually went up a notch from there. I mean, who? There's not, I mean, the only other franchise you could really say that had that situation is the San Francisco 49ers. We're going from Joe Montana. It's the, yeah. Okay, yep. Yeah. That's the only other one that you could really argue. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking about like Super Bowl level. Like you can say, okay, you can say Tony Romo, Dak, like, okay. But they both didn't win nothing. Mm-mm. So I don't know, man. Green Bay got to figure that out because y'all y'all gonna end up with the egg on your face. Yeah, they are gonna keep playing around. Yeah, because yeah. I think had this. I really think that my my original point of them, you know, I, I really think the plan was to get rid of him in 2022 because of the the cap numbers there. Mm-hmm. Just knowing how those people think, because it's all about numbers. So I think that was the original plan, but with him winning MVP this year, Aaron winning MVP this year, I think that just totally like screwed up their plans because they're like oh shoot like man he just won the mvp and this kid's not ready yet no <laughs> you gotta keep Aaron. <laughs> Aaron now so yeah i mean and, and again Aaron knows that so that's why he kind of put that out there i wonder if he i know he said he he always wanted to do jeopardy but i wonder if there was like an underlying oh, kind of reason oh. for it I think it's both. I mean, he's he's a big Jeopardy fan, and he's always said that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do think I do think it's both. I mean, you know, obviously, like I said, R.I.P. Alex Trebek. Um, you know, 
with him passing, it, it, you know, in a roundabout way, it created this opportunity for Aaron, you know, where they're doing these guest hosts. He's like, hmm, yeah, let me go try that. Mm-hmm. I like <laughs> and then he was already calculating like, yeah, you know, I could still play, you know, quarterback and, you know, still film the shows because, you know, they do it like back to back to back for like, yep. like a month or something during the off season. He's like, yeah, I can still do it. And as much as, I mean, Green Bay has to not like that. They don't want their quarterback hosting a game show in the offseason. <laughs> I mean, they, I don't think they like that, but he's like, hey, listen, I can do it. Yeah, you can't stop me. I'm going to stop me because it's not necessarily something that's against my contract. It's not like I'm going to go like skiing or no. riding motorcycles because a lot of contracts have those sorts of clauses in it. Mm-hmm. He's just standing there. Like you said, reading off questions and giving answers. Not to say that that's not exhausting because it'll be like back to back to back to back shows that you have to film and that takes a lot out of you. Mm-hmm. But I'm, man, I'm sorry. Who, who knew that that Jeopardy at a game show would be like the key piece in, in, in a situation of NFL players? Who would have thought? Who Jeopardy in the NFL draft. Hell yeah. Man. Hijack that joint. Well, we're going to slide into some NBA right now. A lot going on. Teams are prepping for the playoffs. And some teams that we've expected to to be mediocre have actually done really well. And some teams have actually disappointed us a little bit. Uh, But what we're going to talk about next, and Coach Natty, you can lead us out on this, is who is your NBA coach of the year? Yeah, um... (laughs) I wish Coach K was with us to answer this one. (laughs) <laughs> uh, maybe next week but um <laughs> so thinking about it um I have three potentials um I have Tom Thibodeau with the Knicks yeah I have um Monty Williams with the Phoenix Suns uh-huh. well four um yeah Monty Williams with the Phoenix Suns and then I always forget his name. Coach for uh, obviously a coach for uh, Utah Jazz. Oh, Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder. I always, I always, I'm looking at his face and I always like forget his name. <laughs> um, yeah, Quinn Snyder. You know, I, I got to put him in there just because they have the number one record in the NBA. And you know, and number four, I got to put Steve Nash in there, man. Oh. I think he'll win it, but. I really think he deserves to be in there because I'm telling you, like, for the Brooklyn Nets to be number one in the East, with all that's going on, now we can talk about playoffs and, you know, obviously the big three has only played together seven games and all of that, and there's just a lot of noise. For them to be number one in the East, that's pretty impressive. And you have to give credit to – Steve Nash for managing all of that situation in Brooklyn. Yeah. So I got to, he's got to be in at least honorable mention in there. Um, but if I'm picking one, I'm going to go with Monty Williams. Okay. My top two is between Monty Williams and uh, Tom Thibodeau, because I think what Tom Thibodeau has done with that Knicks team, they're number four right now. I don't think anybody really saw that coming. Mm-hmm. Nope. Um, 
I'm going to go with Monty Williams, though, just because the same thing with Phoenix's side. I don't think anybody saw them being number two in the West. Mm-hmm. Now, as much as I do attribute some of that to Chris Paul's presence being there, but I think what Monty Williams has, he's just done a really good job of, you know, obviously managing the situation, style of play. Um, and we saw kind of the, the tail end, or at least the beginning of the momentum of what he was beginning to do with Phoenix in the bubble last year. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just a carryover of momentum. And as much as nobody saw New York being number four in the East, Nobody saw Phoenix being number two in the West. Yeah. So, man, for me, I, I'm going to go with Monty. I'm going to go with Monty Williams. I, I just think he's done a fantastic job. Um, you know, DeAndre Aiden's playing well. Devin Booker's playing well. Obviously, Chris Paul's doing his thing. Um, you know, I, I think he he's he's figured out like a style of play. I think they play good defense. I think they play hard every night, which is a testament to his motivational skills. And also, again, Chris Paul deserves credit for that as well. But I think Monty Williams, is he's well-respected. Uh, he knows his stuff. And I, I'm just very impressed with what, what Phoenix has done in the West. Yeah. That, that's just – That's no easy feat right there. That's no easy feat. And, again, obviously, you know, the Lakers had their two biggest players hurt. So – you know, maybe if they were playing, maybe are they second in the West? Possibly. So, you know, that deserves to be mentioned because that's, you know, that's that's part of the, the equation there. But still, even beyond that, I just still never thought Phoenix would be number two in the West. So that's why Monty Williams or not. This one was a tough question because you have so many qualified candidates for this year. Because mm-hmm. uh, we're looking at when I when I try to look at this, I, I I looked at a shock factor. Who did I not see coming? Like just mm-hmm. wow, okay. And then I also looked at consistency of of play. Okay, so that was my second one. Uh so when you put those together, you get Tom Thibodeau. To me, you know, as the coach of the year, like I said, no one saw the Knicks being relevant um, because they've been a dumpster fire for years. And they, Julius Randle is your marquee player. And I think a lot of people question that. And we're like, oh, you know, they're just going to throw a lot of money at this kid and he's going to put up numbers, but it's not going to result into wins. I think that's what most people were thinking. Mm-hmm. But man, you know, I mean, they have their issues because I think when Julius Randle doesn't have a good game, they usually don't win. When he has an average game, they don't win because I think in the losses, he's he averages 18, nine and nine in their losses. So he has to get above that 20 point mark consistently for them to win the game. But I'd still, still, I mean, just, just complete uh, rhythm of basketball on both sides of the court when I watch them play. So he would be my number one. And then Quinn Snyder would be my number two. I, I think because people looked at Utah as this team that, oh, they had a pretty good year last year. 
but that's just, it's going to be a one and done thing. I think a lot of people expect that Utah to kind of slide down, uh, especially with all the Clippers are going to come back hungry. Make sure y'all. You saw what Murray and Jokic did, did, to, did to Utah last year. LeBron and AD coming back. Luka's the next face of the league. And Utah, Utah has not just become number one. They've been number one pretty much the entire season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so speaking to that consistency, I'll put there. Number three would be Monty Williams, and I would say him. Uh, for all the reasons that you've said, they have been a model consistency. And I – and to your point about the Lakers, if AD and LeBron were healthy, I could see Phoenix still being number two. Yeah. Because they were right there the whole season when both when both of them were playing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, could it be uh, you move down to three instead of two or Lakers be three and Phoenix? Sure. But Phoenix has just played amazing basketball and they beat quality teams. Mm-hmm. So – those are my top three, but I'm going to go with Tom Thibodeau as, as my number one. I, I agree with, with people when people say basketball is better when the Knicks are better, and it's good to see finally see that. Good to finally see that. They got, they got two New York teams in there. That's good. So that's you know, it would just be nice once uh you know once fans come back to see just kind of how. It'd just be interesting to see the the energy and the buzz in both arenas. Like if you know everybody was in there, it would be it would be very very nice to see. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. You know, we're winding down. You know, we're getting close. We are. I can't so, wait. And then before we go on to the next topic, I just got to mention one thing. And again, I know Coach K is in here, but let me tell you something. Kevin Durant, man. He is just unbelievable. Yeah. For you to just be gone for three or four games and then come off – because against Phoenix, mm-hmm. who comes off the bench and puts up 33 on, like, 15 shots. Yeah. That is unbelievable. And then the other night, the dude has – of course, it was against the Pacers. I think, you know, they were pretty depleted. But he just scores, like, 45 points. Like, it's nothing. Yeah, and he told was he told uh, Steve Nash he said yeah I like to come off the bench uh, because it's gonna challenge I'm gonna challenge myself because I have to stay focused throughout the game I, I'm not gonna be able to get distracted I have to be able to focus so can you have me come off the bench so I can work on that like that's that's a different level of mentality I know we make fun of Kevin Durant because he does some some weird stuff sometimes but as a basketball player. Sh- that's what, that's what I'm saying. All that like Twitter stuff. I I, I think he, he uses that for motivation because again, like anytime he comes in there, dude is just dropping 30 on 12 shots. Like who does that? And again, like he was out injured yeah. like, for a while. And then he comes back and he has a little contusion on his leg. So he's out for like another week. And then he just comes back and just drops 33 off the bench. Like I I've never I mean, that's just unbelievable. I've just never seen anything like that. <laughs> I mean, he's an elite company. When you talk about people that could just re-enter a game and pick up where they left off, like I, I think of Jordan. I think of Kobe. I, I think of. I mean, I've seen Iverson do it in his time. Uh, LeBron to a certain degree, but I. This is a different level, though, because I mean, it's not just. 
because those guys would have good games, but like you can tell they still need to be like getting the swing of things. Because even Michael, like you know, he may score a lot of points, but it's like, all right, well, he's kind of off tonight. Dude, like his efficiency level is still the same. Like he's not overshooting. He's still shooting like maximum 20 shots. Yeah. He's still dropping 37 points. Like that's just, I mean, that's what I because we, we talk in our group text about you know about the Nets all the time. And because my my worry is, you know, that you know, they've only played together seven games, been in and out of the lineup. But when Kevin Rent comes in and does that, I'm just like, I don't know. I just throw my hands up. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe they can't win the title. Yeah. This doesn't matter who they play if he's playing like that. Like, yeah, man. Like, and they're beating quality. Like I said, they played Phoenix. Uh-huh. It wasn't like it was a scrub squad. Like, it's feet. They're number two in the West for a reason. Yeah. And he just comes off. Oh yeah, let me come off the bench and drop thirty three. It's nothing. Yeah, it's all good. I, I don't know, man. He's he's different. But I, I just had to mention that because I that that's just. That is really amazing stuff. Like seriously, like in all seriousness, like it that, is. that's unbelievable, man. It really is. It is. I mean, you gotta give credit where credit is due. And- got to, got to, got to, got to. And even, even, even Kyrie. I mean, as much as he's been, you know, being Kyrie, <laughs> when he plays, like he balls. He's balling, man. I. Same with James Harden. When when they play, they ball. Mm-hmm. They may not win all the games, but for the most part, like their numbers are usually like always good. I mean, I don't know, man. That they're they're just they're they're just a very it's just a unique team. It is. It is because everyone was talking about the they haven't played together all three of them that that many games. So is the chemistry? Can they just turn it on in the, in the playoffs? It seems like they it seems like they can because they just like they just come in and then just like it's just because again KD's kind of the catalyst because he's just so easy to just kind of plug plug and play. Like he just comes in, like, all right, I'm good. Because because I just think because he's so efficient, he doesn't need the ball like that. Like he literally just needs like 12 to 15 shots, and he's still gonna put up at least 25, 26 points. Like that's just like that's like an that's an average night for him. Yes, and this is where his time in Golden State has benefited him. Yeah, term because he can say, "Yeah, I'm I'm good with this setup." So if you all want to take the ball up the court and everything, I'm gonna just pick and choose my spots. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, and when one of y'all sits down, I'll be a little bit more aggressive and everything like that. We'll, we'll you know we'll get the job done. Yeah, man. I I don't know. I I'm just, I'm just waiting for the playoffs because I have no idea. <laughs> they are just when I because when I see him do things like that, I'm just like, man, I don't, I don't even know anymore. I don't know. Maybe they can win a title. I don't know. Yeah, it's <laughs> very rare in NBA history. Like I say, you know, there's only a handful, a couple people we could think about that's that could even do that, just bounce back like that. Let alone you have a team of three of those guys who, I mean, any given night, one is going to get you 40. 30 to 40 points any given night. And the rest would be like, okay, well, I'll just do the 25 points a game tonight. The other one's like, okay, I'll do 20 to 25 myself and we'll call it a day. You know, like that, you usually don't get that dynamic on one team. And that's what made the Warriors so dangerous. And I think we're kind of seeing a 2.0 version, slightly different skill sets, but 
still, as far as the impact on the game of basketball, I mean, those guys got it. And if they could stay healthy uh, and not get injured in the playoffs, then I think I think they'll be fine. Well, Steve Nash, man, like I said, because remember, he was he was an advisor on those Warrior squads. That's why him and KD have that connection. So, you know, he's probably stealing some of the same philosophy. You never know. Mm-hmm. Man, uh, speaking of squads, mm-hmm. Dr. J came oh. out with his best two teams. Okay, so he had an opportunity to pick anybody. 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 First two squads. His first team, I don't think this was in like talent order or anything, but one of his teams is Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain. So that's your first squad. Second squad, Magic, Jordan, Bird, the mailman Carl Malone, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So immediately when I saw this list, I said, man, this dude really does have a um, (laughs) uh, old school bias as far as putting his teams together. Mm -hmm. Because what what was it? Jordan would would be the youngest cat, like (laughs) on all these players. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Jordan's the youngest, yeah. (laughs) I mean, you don't have anyone on your team that was drafted after 1984. (laughs) so i i understand his perspective a little bit like as far as um we're talking about some of the greatest people to ever do it and that has been solidified and that there are people that are still playing and they're still writing their books and we're just anticipating them to do so uh i was i was surprised you know, a little bit that that Kobe and LeBron didn't make one of the teams. Like, I understood maybe if both of them didn't make it, but, like, I expected one of them to be on one of the teams on his top five, uh, of his top ten, I guess. So, you know, sometimes you have a little bit of bias of, of folks that you played against. So that, that, that could come into play, too. But I, I think as much as I love Dr. J – and I respect the heck out of him. He needs he needs to freshen his list up a little bit because I think there's some cats that that um, deserve to be on this list over uh, a few players. I like Elgin Baylor, Baylor and Jerry West. I think could easily be Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and you know it's hard to argue against Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell and Kareem. You know, it's hard to argue against those. Could you argue Tim Duncan over Carl Malone? Perhaps, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, people call him the greatest power forward of all time, and you don't have that guy on either one of your teams either. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I mean, I agree with, with, with Kareem, Bird, Magic, Jordan, Russell, Chamberlain. Uh, and I got a lot of respect for Oscar Robertson, but if, they, he, if he'd have picked somebody else, I'd have been okay with that too, but... At least those, what was that, five five or six folks, I agree with those. But I think he needs to freshen his list up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I may surprise you with my take because I actually don't – I don't necessarily have a problem with his list because that's his list. 
Like, you know, who are we to really tell Dr. J? <laughs> because, and to be even more honest, I actually like his list because I think in reality, this is how we should do our list. Because he did it by era. If you notice. So Oscar, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain. That's, you know, 60s, 70s right there. And then second team is pretty much, you know, pretty much 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so I actually like the structure of his list because, again, it's, it's by era. And, and again, in reality, that's how we should discuss our list, technically, because mm-hmm. you really judge players based on their era. Now, we don't do it. We like having the hypothetical conversations. You know, it's fun to have those conversations. But if we're talking about tangible lists, this is how it actually should be done. Um. Now, where I do disagree with Dr. J is his reasoning for not having LeBron in there. Cause he talked about like, oh, you know, he, you know, stacked the deck and, you know, created this super <laughs> and all that. Like, well, um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if Dr. J, you know, really realized this, but you know, when Wilt was traded to LA from hmm. Philly, I mean, that, that's a super team. Yeah. And not only was it a super team, he actually threatened to go to the ABA, to the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, dare I say, is that LeBron-esque? Yeah, or at least Kevin Durant-esque. Kevin Durant-esque? I mean, listen, those guys never threatened to say, oh, well, I'm just going to retire unless you don't trade me. Like, that's kind of like, that's some gangster, some old-school gangster-ish right there. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with, you know, another guy on his list, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Luau Cinder. I mean, we won a championship in Milwaukee, and it was like, and he told the front office, like, look, I want to go to L.A. And he forced his way out and got traded to LA. So I, I think that 80s Lakers teams definitely are super teams, right? Now I know they drafted James Worthy, they drafted Matthew Johnson, I get all that, but they made a trade to get Kareem. So that's not LeBron James' fault. Yeah. So make it even more personal. Dr. J, you even benefited from a trade, my friend, because when you were went from the ABA to the 76ers and they were getting beat down in the playoffs, <laughs> who y'all have to get? Moses Malone. Y'all trading for him, right? Yep. Couldn't that be qualified as a super team? You know, you have him, you have Dr. J, you have Maurice Cheeks. That's three Hall of Famous right there. And drafted Charles Barkley. And you drafted Charles Barkley. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's is, is that a super team. I don't know. So I, I think it's just that whole reasoning and, and just that whole thought process is just is getting a bit tired. And I think, at least to me, a lot of those old school players that are mad at like or just have that sort of um, – narrative or opinion about LeBron when it comes to these super teams, 
deep down, I think it's jealousy. Mm. Just being just being 100 because I feel like a lot of them, you know, probably felt like throughout their career, throughout the frustrations, because sports are sports, things sometimes, you know, we like to act like things are totally different, but it's pretty much the same things under the sun. Organizational and player structure, or not organizational and player structure, but the power struggle, I would say. Yeah. That always existed. I'm pretty sure back in the, back in the day, as much as they want to say, oh, you know, you should stay loyal to the team. I'm pretty sure they weren't happy with the front office folks all the time, just the same way the NBA players are today or even NFL players are today, right? Problem is, especially in the NBA, players have realized that they actually have a bit more power and they're just using it more. Whereas back then, it was tapping. Uh, what was it? Um I think the Bad Boys documentary brought yeah. out was Adrian Dantley. Yeah. And Isaiah, like people looked at Isaiah. Isaiah I, what about Mark McGuire? <laughs> what about this? And something ends up happening. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, listen, Magic got his coach fired. Yeah. I mean, the right decision. But again, like people want to get mad at LeBron for that. But like with Magic did the same thing. Uh-huh. Don't say, you know, the same old school for like, oh, Magic Larry, oh, they didn't do. Like, dude, they, they did some of those same things. Now, did they wield their power as much as LeBron James has? No. no. So that's that's the problem I have with him, with Dr. J, because it's just, to me, that's just a very tired argument. And again, I just think there's some jealousy there. Same thing with, you know, some of the players with Tom Brady. I feel like a lot of the hate on Tom Brady is just some of it is just jealousy because they're like, man, this dude's still playing until he's 44, 45 years old. This <laughs> is like, I wish I could do that. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I think that's where just some of that energy comes from. So that's that's what I didn't like from what Dr. J. It just sounded like old man river at that point. It's like, all right, <laughs> all super teams, all this, that. And the, like, dude, like, and, and I understand even, you know, again, these players were drafted, but like like Bill Russell, like, come on, man. The whole one team was in the Hall of Fame, bro. Yeah. Like the whole starting five and the next four that came off the bench were in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I mean. How, how Greer's, you had your John Havlicek's, your Bob Cousy's. And- I mean, come on, man. And in a league where it was half the teams, yeah, basically only played two rounds of the playoffs. Like, <laughs> is it impressive that they won that many times? But yes. But come on, man. Like, if that ain't a super team, I don't know what it is. Where the whole bench, the third five, the bench, the coach, is all in the Hall of Fame. So, just pump the brakes on that whole super team nonsense. The the problem is they're just mad that LeBron James is the one that initiated it. Uh-huh. The players are the ones that are initiating the movement. Like, like you said, like Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, all these guys are initiating the, the power movement. So I just think that's what a lot of the old school guys don't like. It's because I, I just think there's just some jealousy there. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you mentioned it, but Robin to the Bulls. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, 
not quite the same, but very similar because he had he already had two rings and defensive player of the year. Yep. So I mean, he he might have been able to go to a Hall of Fame just after just off of his Detroit like career. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they say, you know, we need him in Chicago, and the rest is history. Three more titles later. And plus, the, the other thing too, what and then again, this is just. I've already said this before, but the whole, you know, super team and people not liking super teams and this, that, and first, and then, you know, all the small market teams get upset. I'm like, dude, the thing is, even if you create a super team or try to make all these blockbuster trades, that doesn't necessarily guarantee you're going to win the championship. It doesn't. Because, again, look at – because going back to Dr. J's first team – People forget, Will Chamberlain, Elger Baylor, and Jerry West was all on the same team. Yep. And Elger Baylor didn't win a championship. Nope. He got traded that season that they won, and, I, and right. they might have sent him a ring because he was with the team at the beginning yeah. of the year, I think. Yeah, yeah. traded midseason. Yeah. That, that's a super team, like, in the 70s? Are you serious? But they didn't win. But all three of them there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, I mean, it, as great as as great as uh, the Heat were with, with you know with LeBron, right? They went to the finals for straight years. They won two out of the four. They didn't win all of them. And who beat them? Well, one you know mid-sized market with Dallas and San Antonio beat them. Now, obviously, they had Hall of Famers as well. But to me, that just proves you can still build a great team. Yeah, <laughs> that's all a small San Antonio players were drafted. Yeah. Right, that's a small market. Like, okay, maybe you have to do some more legwork with scouting and making sure and all that. But like, establish a culture, establish a style of play, and go with that and stick with it. So perhaps, I know this is veering off the topic, but since you mentioned, so perhaps the issue with the super teams that are currently being constructed is that players are looking at their career outside of basketball, therefore looking at markets that will be attractive to their off the court needs as well as their on the court needs. So it does, it's a little different than what it was. So those super teams that we talked about, you know, some of them can be in small markets like Milwaukee had both Kareem and Oscar, Mm -hmm. you know, that's how they got their first title there. Chicago, I mean, it's not too small of a market, um, but, you know, Jazz, John Stockton, Carl Malone. So you, you're talking about Utah there. Uh, so maybe is that is that the key piece that you think is hurting, like, these small teams from doing this? Because you can still build your super teams, but it's like, well, we all want to go to this city because this city, I might have the ability to – to get more endorsements and stuff like that when not as many players back in the day were getting off the court endorsements. I mean, I think that's, I think that's part of it. Um, and again, I, we mentioned it before. I mean, I think if you're a young, you know, 20, 30 something year old athlete, you know, multimillionaire athlete, like you want to enjoy where you live as far as where you work and where you live as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. Um, but I just, Ultimately, I, I just think it's a bit lazy. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think 
it's just a bunch of whining and complaining. Because again, at the end of the day, all of these teams, no matter where they're located, and I understand that there's a salary cap, but all of you are owned by billionaires. Mm -hmm. So my point is like, yeah, you may not be able to be the Brooklyn Nets and get Kevin Durant and Kyrie and James Harden to come. But again, if, if San Antonio can build a championship team, I think that proves that if you have the right people there and the right culture established there, you can still win. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, and yeah, do you have to do a little bit more legwork? Probably. You have to work probably a little harder than those other teams because you know you're not going to get like the superstar convince the superstar free agent to come to your city. But again, like it doesn't guarantee that those superstar players in those big name cities are going to win. It doesn't guarantee anything. It guarantees like, yeah, is it going to be exciting? Yeah. Is there going to be a little glitz and glamour to it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. but that doesn't guarantee they're going to win. Period. Yeah. So Think of different creative ways to win. Like, there's more than one ways to win basketball games. There's more than one ways to win championships. Yeah, does it help? Does it make it a lot easier if you have Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen on your team? Yes. Do you have Kobe and Shaq on your team? Absolutely. LeBron and D-Wade? Yeah. LeBron and AD? Absolutely. The Warriors? Absolutely. <laughs> but... Again, there's there you can you can there's multiple ways to win, and I just feel like it's always it just annoys me when I hear the oh you know we're not gonna have a chance to win because all of these super teams I'm like dude like and, and dare I say like Golden State I mean that that's not a big market uh, you know LA is the big the big dog there in California but they're they're an example as well and again and in San Francisco. Or just the Bay Area, I mean, you know, again, it's expensive, but, you know, when you're a multi-million dollar athlete, like, you know, as Chris Rock said, when, uh, <laughs> when KD went to OKC, went from OKC to, to, to Golden State, he's like, listen, man, you can order sushi at three o'clock in the morning in San Francisco. You just can't do that in OKC. <laughs> <laughs> so... As real as that comment is from the great Chris Rock, mm -hmm. um, to your point, Golden State is, is, is a great example. I mean, as much as it was a great city, I mean, listen, like, before the Warriors were the Warriors, they were kind of a doormat of the league. Yeah. I mean, they did have that, you know, exciting time with, you know, when they had Baron Davis and, and Stephen Jackson and, you know, um, Matt Barnes and all them. Mm -hmm. They upset Dallas. You know, that was an exciting time. Obviously, you had the run TMC crew back in the early 90s. Like, that was an exciting time. But really, like, you know, besides the Brett Barry year or Rick Barry years, as I say, I mean, they weren't going to say one doing nothing. Yeah. They were able to build a team through the draft, right? Yeah. So, again, I, I, just, I, I just think it's lazy because another one that really ticks me off is Cleveland. And as much as I hate Cleveland <laughs> – but, like, when you have LeBron James there all those years and to only get one title out of that, like, that's 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 an indictment on the Cleveland organization. Yeah. And, like, pulling that, oh, 
it's Cleveland. Nobody wants to come here. Like, no, like people are willing to come, but y'all wanted to keep JJ Hickson over trading for Amari Sotomayor. Now, I don't know if they would have won the championship, but it's moves like that. Why y'all didn't win a championship sooner? Because think about the outcome of, of many of those years. So you had, you struggled to, they struggled to get past Boston. So Boston's technically, a, you know, it's a bigger market team, sure. Yeah. But once they got over that hump, they got beat by Orlando. Yeah. They got beat by San Antonio in the finals. That yeah. year. So you got beat by two small market teams on your on your quest to a championship. Exactly. 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 And, and then Golden State, we just said, you know, is a smaller market team that just drafted extremely well. And then they got Kevin Durant, and so they kept that they kept that rivalry up for for years, and you mm-hmm. kept getting taken out, except for that one year, right? By Golden State, yeah. So I look at it in terms of, I the thing that that because you can't afford to be sloppy in the front office of a small market team. Exactly. They, these major markets can get away with it sometimes because the there is a lot. Thinner. So, and again, and like you said, I agree with that, but that still doesn't mean that you can't win. You just got to put in. You just got to do what you got to do. I mean, Utah is the number one team in the league. Phoenix is number two in the in the uh, West. Mm-hmm. L- L- the Clippers number three. Denver is number four. Mm-hmm. Lakers five. Dallas is six. So smaller than the Los Angeles and stuff like that. So your top six teams, you have two that are large, large sports markets. Your top six in the the Western Conference. But this is why I'm so disappointed, and I don't know why I expected any different from David Griffin, but I expected him to do better in New Orleans. You picked the wrong coach. No disrespect to Stan Marcus, because I think he's a good coach, and obviously he beat. He don't don't fit there. that's, that's That's not his place. You know, is with the, is with the Pelicans. You don't play the right type of basketball for your personnel. Uh, so Zion is having wasted years in New Orleans, and then people are like, "Oh, oh, that yeah." Of course, he's talking about playing in New York City and everything like that. A, who wouldn't want to play at Madison Square Garden? But number two, if he felt that he was on a contending team to begin with, right? He, you know. New York would be a, a you know far from his mind at this point in time because he's like, hey, I can win championships here. Yeah, same with AD. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 AD gave them ample time. I felt to to turn a corner, and part of that was on him, but part of that was like, I mean, you barely could be able to pair anyone with this dude. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's you do you do have less margin for error, but. Uh, there's a, just a lot of sloppy ownership going around. Right. There's a lot of sloppy ownership, a lot of money being thrown in the wrong directions, a lot of turnover at uh, for critical positions within the organization. Of course, you're not going to get anywhere with that. Right. Because you don't have the luxury to offer a lot of anything else right. outside of you come here, you have a chance to win. Right. And if a player feels that way too, then they'll come to your team or at least seriously consider you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Because as big of a market as New York City is, what big fish have they landed recently? That's, that's exactly. Exactly. 
Exactly. Technically, Boston hasn't landed a big fish either. They've drafted okay, so to get Tatum and um, and, and Brown, Kimball Walker, okay, yeah, you know, but he was in Charlotte for all those years. Yep. So you know, he gave a small market a lot of his career. Mm-hmm. So that that yeah, I, I think there's 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 two sides to that coin. There's two yeah. sides to that coin for sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So again, I guess <laughs> the overall point is Dr. J could be an old man river man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The more and more that you uncover some of the history of the NBA, the more and more you start to see that, okay, maybe things weren't as commonplace, but they did happen. They did happen. Yeah. Yes. So I yeah, I don't know. And I, I forgot to mention the coach of the year. If I had another vote like that fourth spot, I'm I think Doc Rivers deserves a lot of credit for the work that's being done in Philadelphia this year, too. I mean, I, I kind of expect him to do well because I just like him so much as a coach. I expect him to do well wherever he goes. Um, you know, but to say that, you know, you're gonna take Brett Brown's team to the next level with essentially the same personnel. Um mm-hmm. we'll see how they do in the playoffs, but big ups to him. Mm-hmm. Uh so we're going to end here with uh, a topic about the impact of English football clubs, social media boycott. Uh, will this have any impact? And so we're going to have Coach Natty T lead us out on this. What were you thinking? Do you think that this, this situation is going to have any impact? And if so, how? Um, I think it could uh, just because it's actually grown from just being the just the, you know, English football clubs or English soccer clubs, like I think, uh, like uh, English rugby clubs, I think uh, UEFA and FIFA actually joined in on the boycott as well. Um, and for those that don't know, um, and just may have just heard just little, you know, pieces of it, um, essentially <laughs> kind of additional fallout from the whole Super League situation. Um, you know, a lot of the players, were, were, you know, obviously they were against the Super League, but also with the amount of energy that was dedicated from the fans and just from UEFA and from FIFA to basically stop the Super League, a lot of the players, and mostly players of color or just, you know, players of, of different cultures and, and whatnot, right. you know, basically bringing up the point like, hey, I mean, you know, this is great, but, you know, that we're having all of this energy to stop the Super League that we all disagree on, but, you know, where's the same energy when we're talking about <laughs> abuse online and just overall racism and, and those things in sports? So, you know, I think it did kind of, or not kind of, but it did, you know, add to this momentum of coming up with this idea of having a social media boycott. Um, And really the goal behind it is not necessarily just to help stop the, you know, the bullying online and just the, the, the racism that's, that's spewed online, you know, at players. Um, It's all, it's the main focus of it is holding these social media companies more accountable for monitoring this online abuse. So that's really the idea behind it. So that's why I like it. And I mean, we'll see what the impact is. I, you know, I'm hoping it has some sort of impact because um, 
my sentiment has always been, and, and like I said, I've said on the show, like I hate social media. <laughs> right. But I do think like I've, that's part of my issue with it is not necessarily the people per se, because I don't think you can necessarily eradicate you know, racism or just inappropriateness because people are just going to do inappropriate things. But as the social media platforms themselves, I think they should be held more accountable for allowing these things to happen. Now, there is that sort of fine line of, you know, censorship and freedom of speech and all of that, which I understand. But at the same time, you know, when you allow certain things to be said online and it just goes on, when you allow certain, you know, sentiments to be kind of spewed out there and it kind of creates a life of its own, I do think these companies have a, a sort of responsibility to monitor that. Again, not to get too much off topic, but, you know, our previous president, I mean, we saw what happened on January 5th. And of course, they did the trial and all that. They didn't necessarily, they felt like he was morally responsible, but they couldn't find him criminally responsible. But that's just an example. Like, you know, when you're saying certain things over and over and over and over again, it just creates other dangerous aspects that can cause other things to happen, as we saw in this country. Yeah. So I, I do feel that. The, these companies should have more more responsibility, so that's why I like reading the reasoning behind what they're why they're doing it. I like it. Um, it and again, I hope that it does cause or at least spark some difference. And honestly, I, you know, I think it would be a good idea if you know the NFL, the NFL, NBA, MLB. That would be amazing if they were able to kind of together you know all have this all-in sort of effort um you know to to try to stop these sorts of things on the sort of online abuse that's happening as well so i i like it i i think it shows the power of of the people if you will when they come together for a common cause and you know i do hope there it does you do see some sort of residual effect so i, I like the idea yeah, I don't have too much to add to that. I, I, I do agree with your sentiments. I, I think that there are certain things once put out there, um, even if you're not the person that's acting on it, someone else will because of the rhetoric that you've put out there. You've empowered people to do some very ugly and dangerous things that could potentially harm someone. Mm -hmm. So like when, you know, the player for OSU when they when they get, when they lost in the tournament and he was they were sending him death threats. Yeah, like that's gotta y'all gotta track those people down. Like, yeah, seriously. like come on, man. Yeah, like, seriously, like you're threatening someone's life. That should be able to be uh, investigated, sought into, like automatically. Like you, you can't just be throwing stuff out there like that. Right. Uh, so I think that there is a lot. I think it's just these organizations coming together to determine where they feel confident that line should be. Uh, and, and then once they do that, I think, you know, go ahead and go for it. And because we, I think we all agree that we want to keep people safe uh, and we don't want the 
the bullying that is happening here to to continue. Uh, and people could say that, oh, well, you know, they can always just ignore it. Uh, I think that is usually wielded by people that don't often receive it. Mm-hmm. So it's easier to say people can ignore it when you're not the one that's being berated all the time by things. Uh, when you don't, when you're not the one that feels like their safety is at jeopardy at any given time, mm-hmm. uh, based on what someone else said or what someone may carry out based on what someone has said. So narratives are very strong in this, and and you know that's why there's a lot of uh, cyberbullying going on in the schools. You know, so for someone who works in education, you know, you see that all the time. Like, it's something that. Uh, past generations didn't have to worry about, you know, their, their idea of bullying was someone walking up to you and demanding your lunch money or giving you a wedgie or, or, or stuffing you in your locker or something like that, you know, well, things have evolved. So you still have that aspect, but you have a lot of people that are using those platforms um, to, to dehumanize others. And then they have to go to school together the next day, you know, so, you know, then, uh, so we we see stuff like that. So I think there should be some regulation. I, I don't like the fact of this total pure censorship, censorship everything. Mm-hmm. I'm a person that likes freedom of thought, but not at the expense of someone's safety. I, I think there should be some non-negotiables in that because people have different walks of life and different perspectives. Uh, but if what you are articulating is dehumanizing another individual, uh, threatening their safety, uh, and and causing so it's just like the screaming fire in a public place there's a reason why that's wrong and you'll get in trouble for that there's a reason for that because your words are going to lead to the actions that can really harm people so i think we should take that concept and apply it appropriately to to these type of platforms too yeah no i i, I totally agree like and you know i, I just love that at least in, in in the european football league that they're they're doing this because what makes it unique, especially with English football clubs, is um, it's not even just the the black players that receive that abuse mm-hmm. because there's there's kind of a different dynamic, which I think most Americans are familiar with, with especially with the climate that we're in right now, with the whole immigration and what's going on at the border and all of that. But you know, in Europe, like that's that's a pretty big deal in terms of immigration. So that's that brings its own level of, you know, adverse uh, comments that are made to certain players. Because, you know, on, on any select team, you know, for those that don't know, in our American listeners here, you know, it's not like here where I use the NBA, for example, where we're starting to see some more like, you know, European players and guys from different countries. You may see like, a, you know, one or two here that may pop up on each roster. But on these rosters for these European clubs and specifically in England, mm-hmm. like your whole starting 11, like you may just have a handful of guys that are English. Like the rest of them are, you know, Spanish, you know, maybe a guy from Turkey. There's a guy from Ghana. There's a guy from Italy. There's a guy from, you know, Algeria. There's, you know, there's guys from all over the place, you know, all different religious backgrounds. Cause you, you know, there's a guy 
say it was Mohamed Salah, like one of the best players in the world. He plays for Liverpool, you know, he's Egyptian, right? So, and he's Muslim and he's a devout Muslim. So, you know, on all of these teams, there's all these different immigrants, if you will, that are on the team. Yeah. So, you know, that, that definitely causes, you know, you can just imagine some of the things that are said at these games or even online at some of these players. Not even just, again, not just related to just, just Black folk, but, you know, that just brings a whole different level of complications when it comes to just bullying and just online abuse. So I think it's good that they're recognizing it, at least, and saying, hey, like, you know, this, this, just, got, this has just got to stop. So, um, again, hopefully, hopefully it leads to, leads to something. Um, but again, I, I just love that everybody is on the same page. Yes. It's not like this, it doesn't turn into this like <laughs> political, like all oh, these guys are being like, no, it's about right and wrong. It doesn't really do with politics. It's about just being right and wrong. And I can just, just from a personal experience, like, you know, I, I think, you know, for, for our listeners, you know, just to kind of something to think about, like, you know, a lot of these players, as much as, they're athletes and as, as much as they may make a lot of money, I mean, they're still human beings at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And again, speaking from experience, I mean, you know, I played soccer and again, I didn't play at the highest level. I played semi-pro, I played in college, but you know, I remember in college, I remember even growing up, like, you know, at the grassroots level of playing and, you know, certain, I've heard certain things said to me by, you know, parents of the other team, mm-hmm. <laughs> all these certain words and, yeah, during the game, do I, did I react to it? No, but yeah, but when you go home that night and you're thinking about it and you're like, damn, why, why, why were they calling me that? Like, it hurts. At the yeah. end of the day, it just hurts. And I've heard other, you know, football players or when I mean football, soccer players in, in Europe, they've, they've kind of said the same thing. Because when they talk to a lot of those players that are kind of advocating for it, they said the same thing. They're like, yeah, you know, you're at the game and, you know, people are riled up and they say all these crazy things. And, you know, during the, because in the moment, a lot of times you're just focused on what you need to do. So you don't react to it. But again, you know, when you're on the bus or when you're on the plane going back home, like that stuff hits you hard, man. Cause it's like, dude, I'm just trying to play. Like, you know, I understand you want to support your team. And again, I, you know, I understand people being upset or, you know, yelling certain things, but to your point, there, there needs to be a line that's drawn because mm-hmm. there's a certain point where it just goes overboard. Like, yeah, like, oh, yelling, oh, you suck, or oh, you guys are going to lose today, or blah, 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 or just booing, you know, really hard. Like, okay, that's fine. But don't don't go over that line because it's not that serious. <laughs> it's yeah. just so, yeah, support your team, boo the other team, mm-hmm. you know, you know, have all that sort of energy and all that yell and scream at people and all that. That's fine. But again, there, there's a line that's there and it should not be crossed. And when it is crossed, again, these social media companies and a lot of these organizations too, should be able to step in and be like, okay, you're out, you're banned. You can't come back. Mm-hmm. Those sorts of things need to happen. Just like they do in the stadiums. When you know, somebody yells something at Russell Westbrook and, and he yeah. responds to it and some Yo, some of LeBron James, like, yeah. And if you're going to do that, don't be surprised if someone comes after you. Like, like, 
if somebody called you out of, out of your name like that to something that triggers you in that way, you probably wouldn't be too friendly toward them either. You probably try to come after them and defend yourself exactly. too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cause the unfortunate thing is, you know, it, it's kind of the, the old, the, I guess the somewhat of the cliche statement of, you know, you, you, it's better to learn from someone else's mistakes than your own mistakes. But unfortunately, us as human beings, we only respond to consequences. We don't really, there's, there's very few of us that just like can make that self-determination and make that change just on their own merit. Mm-hmm. For most of human behavior has to change from consequences. So I think, you know, if you have enough situations where these things happen and you start to see the consequences, I think that's where people will be like, even if they may be thinking it, you know, it's gonna pause that that word is gonna pause before it comes from their brain and comes out of their mouth. They're like, uh, well, no, I can't say that. Yeah. I like, you know I, what I mean? That's what you need. Yes, I don't know if I've said this on the show or not, but one of my favorite comparisons that I don't think really leaves us as humans much is. Um, we think about when you're a kid and the rules of your own household. Mm-hmm. And let's say you get to spend the weekend with grandma or something like that. Mm-hmm. Grandma has a different set of rules. In my experience, grandma was, their, her rules, grandma and grandpa's rules were much looser than my home rules. Right. So I knew that when I entered that space, there were some things I could get away with that I couldn't get away with at home. Mm-hmm. I I could stay up later. I could eat whatever I wanted to, you know, do those things, whatever I could do, push it to the limit. Kids push it to the limit, right? Every time they just want to see what they can get away with in a given space. And what you allow them to do is going to influence them to say, oh, okay, well, you must think this is okay, or at least not bad enough that I'm going to get any punishment from it. So I'm going to keep doing it. And that's the big, I think the moral stance for these these platforms is saying that, hey, th- these are our house rules here, okay? And you, you're gonna say or do what you feel you can get away with in this given space. And we're gonna let you know, you can't get away with it in this space. So right. you're gonna have to take that garbage somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's, that's actually the mentality that really doesn't leave us uh, uh, as we grow older. Mm-hmm. We just kind of adapt and become smarter about how we use it but the, the mentality doesn't leave us. So, and I think for those that are, that are kind of looking at this and, and struggling with this and going, you know, ah, I don't know, I don't know. I just think about it, not only in terms of that, but let's be careful of how we, the language that we use to describe things, let's critically think about what they actually mean. Uh, so when people are, are, are talking about these tough conversations that involve people's identities and stuff like that. And people, you know, people say, ah, oh, you know, that's just being divisive. Well, my response to that is that by you claiming something is divisive, you must believe that it had been united at some point in time. Mm-hmm. For something to split up, it, had, it must have been together at some point in time. That's the fundamental dichotomy of belief that we have in our country when it comes to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so when people say, ah, oh, that language is divisive, teaching kids about this is divisive and it's indoctrinating people. 
you shouldn't be indoctrinating people. Literally, I read this today different co- on a comment thread about what a school district is teaching in the classroom. Mm-hmm. They said, oh, you're indoctrinating our children, stick to the science and the math and everything like that. So the only reason why you're bringing this up is that you just don't agree with the material that is being taught, right? It makes you uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. don't hide behind the label of indoctrination mm-hmm. because if they were teaching them something that you agreed with, you wouldn't have any complaints, even though there may other be other kids in the classroom that would be uncomfortable or something like that. But you're like, oh yeah, it's fine. Mm-hmm. You fundamentally disagree with the material and it challenges your pedagogy and it makes you reflect so much that you're like, this doesn't match up with the world that I think I currently live in. And so when we do that, we tend to just dismiss things like this isn't my world, my bubble, mm-hmm. something that happens to me. So you disconnect from it. When you disconnect from it, you become very oblivious to what is actually going on and you hide behind a lot of these, these terms because you say this is divisive, this is indoctrination. Um, why can't we just all be, and it's like, well, I think that's what people want is to be treated equally mm-hmm. and, or equitably, depending on the circumstance. Right. But the fact that fairly, treated fairly, but the fact that we're not in a lot of these situations, that's why people are upset. Mm-hmm. So it's like, until you get that fact, uh, you're gonna keep being very challenged when it comes to these type of topics, uh, whether it's social media stuff and or you know what your kids learn in school, whatever thing. So I just ask people out there, just kind of take a step back and think about things. Think about why this triggers you in a certain way and, and think about, is it the limitation of your own perception that is driving that opinion? So, because I, I, I know a lot of people are on the side of that when it comes to social media and stuff like that and um, stuff, but yeah. so. We're going to leave it there on this show. We're going to end on that note, give you something to chew on this weekend. But um, thank you for jumping into the to the coach's box. Wanted to give a quick shout out to my personal trainer, Jeff Green. Uh, he's moving to Germany to play pro football in the German Football League. So congratulations to you, brother. Uh, that is German football is like in pigskin football, not round football. Yeah. So, yeah, he's... Um, wanting to get into the, to the AFL, and this is a step in the right direction. So I'm proud of you, sir. All right, well, on behalf of Coach Natty T, I'm your host, Coach JP3. We look forward to stepping in the coach's box with you next week. Stay safe, be smart, peace.